Alrighty, mic check on me and mic check for you. Marking of checks. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. With the Bruce and the Yang. Hello, future people, and you're listening to episode two. That's right, episode number two of Getting Tabled with your host, The Brew. Yay, we're doing this a second time. Wee! And one of the Yanks, George. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having some semblance of consistency. That is our goal, to be consistent, because consistency makes it easier to, to listen to episodes when you know there's an episode coming. Um, it's, it's a thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Positive reviews so far from our first episode, despite me failing horribly on getting so much stuff done, like the website, RSS feeds, things like that, that really make it easy for people to access a podcast. But hey, who's who's paying attention to that? I think there, Patrick. There, there are certain there are certain companies that are making it difficult to work with. Um, when I say companies, I mean hosting services. I don't know yes. what you want to call iTunes. Not that I'll um, bag on iTunes, but iTunes uh, suck. Uh, th- yeah, they're they're giving a lot of, a lot of issues on uh, hosting the cast uh, through their podcast page, which is unfortunate since they are the largest reaching uh, centralized podcast hosting service. Because well, they kind of created it, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Um, so we'd like to thank everybody that's continued to listen to us. Uh, we're going to open today by just acknowledging a few people that had asked us questions from the first episode. Some people which knew us already, a couple of people that, as far as I know, didn't. Um, and yeah, pretty much. How's things been, George? Uh, things are things are going good. Uh, it's it's the middle of April and been getting snow all this last week. So you know, normal for a while. That is fair. Um, and for anybody wondering, it, it will most likely just be the two of us today. The other Yank is currently busy doing military things. And it's are. either very late at night or very early in the morning. Well, no, it's very late at night because it's early in the morning for you, so it's very late in the night for Yeah, the time difference between me and him is not as big as it used to be, but yes, it would still be night, I think. I don't right, know. It was very right now, early in the morning when we recorded last time. So, yeah, right now the three of us are transecting the globe. I guess is a good way to put it. If we put a, if we pinpoint our, pinpoint our locations, does that mean we can triangulate something in between us? I'm not sure how useful it would be. Uh no, we're such a great distance now. So, um, first couple of comments uh, we had actually came from the forums at Beast of War. Um, Sundancer and Templar, um, both made a couple of comments. Sundancer with a bit of a jest, uh, saying that the following week's guests would be the Irish, the Brit and the French. So I guess that's, I can't think of a cliche Irish name, but it would be the Nigel. We used to have a Nigel on the Hot LZ. And the Nigel was actually Nigel too, which was what was really cool. Uh, the Irish, uh, not not to offend the Irish because... I, I I don't know if we can offend the Irish because the Irish are pretty unoffendable. Uh, the drunk, uh, the ginger. I don't know. Uh, the French would be the Pierre, I imagine. Uh, I I can't really think of another cliche name. 
Oh, uh, yeah, the Pierre, uh, the Jacques, the Jacques, that's who the Frenchie would be, the Jacques. Or the Frenchie works too. Uh, and the other question, they actually both asked this, uh, which was what equipment and or software we were using. Um, so for anyone that's curious. I'm you go first because a- my, my list will be longer. Well, that is true. I'm running a Node NT-USB, which is the USB version of their NT microphone, funnily enough. Um, And it's just on a regular PC. I do have recording software of my own that I can use, uh, which is a mixture of Audacity, at least that's how I'm pronouncing it, uh, and OBS Studio as well. Um, George does most of the recording things from his side, uh, but me having that allows us to hopefully do some extra stuff behind the scenes for future supporters and if George is busy and can't attend sometimes. How about yourself, George? Well, as you said, I do I do the heavy lifting on the recording, so I do use a, a myriad of things. Uh, on my desktop, I have set up a Blue Yeti with pop filter, shock mount. The, the whole nine yards for actually somewhat semi-professional setup. Uh, I have a Mac Pro desktop circa 2009, so it's, it is ancient, but it still gets the job done. I do a, primi- prim- a majority of the final editing. Uh, for that, I use Logic Pro because it has a lot of snazzy automatic, automated features for removing dead silence, stuff like that. It, ma- it makes the, the editing, job, ed- editing job so much easier. Uh, with that, I also use a piece of software called Media Converter. It allows me to convert any audio file or any video file into another type of audio or video file. So it makes converting audio tracks from Apple formats to MP3 formats a lot better. To my left, I use a MacBook Pro circa 2012 that the actual recording happens on, which I use GarageBand for that, which makes it easy to export from GarageBand into Logic Pro to do the editing. And then I use a uh, podcast soundboard software to do all the bumper stuff and everything. And I apologize for that beeping in the background. Uh, I received a page. I am currently on call for the job that actually pays the bills. Uh, what was I saying about my laptop? Oh, I currently have it set up to where it takes all audio that happens on the laptop and gets picked up by GarageBand. So when we talk on Discord, the laptop picks it up. When it play, the laptop plays a sound on it, it picks it up, records it, and allows me to export into an audio file. From there, I just use normal websites, Weebly, Patreon, all, all, all that stuff to just upload and do the stuff. So normal web-based stuff from that. So, yeah. Um, the other major thing that got mentioned last week uh, was Patrick on Facebook actually answered the question that we were going back and forth with about the game that you mentioned. There was a very large game that happened at a gaming convention. Yes, that game. Yeah. So the game we were referring to was actually three parallel games with shenanigans between them. There was fourth there was a four K versus four K deep space board, which is obviously dropped Fleet Commander. Uh, there was also a two K versus two K uh, volatile debris field over a planet, which is more of a regular 
drop fleet game. And another 4K versus 4K over a planet filled with ruins. So all working. That that's that's 10K. No, that's 20K of a game. Yeah, that's that, that's that's, that's 10K aside. Hours. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, that that's a super long game for for those who haven't played Dropfleet Commander. Uh, the the first three turns are about seventy percent of the time you play the game. The last the last two turns are like thirty percent because you've lost stuff and the game goes a lot faster. But the the first few turns they, they take a while to uh to get. Through. Yeah, and I can imagine once you get into the flow of it, it's usually fairly good. But that's still, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that's a very huge game. And, yeah, so that that's the – I mean, obviously we want to get as many people chatting with us as we can. Um, the idea of this is just simply, look, hey, if you guys are going to comment, we, we will give you a response. I think that's only fair. Uh, try and encourage as much conversation as we can to help build the hobby as any way that we can. Make make the community bond stronger. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, well, let's jump into some of the actual meat and potatoes of what we're here to do and talk about uh, this. Newly received or noteworthy information, especially about recent or important events. And I promise before we record episode three, I will tone down some of the music so it's not quite as shrill because it sounds a little loud. Uh, you know, while we're yeah, it does come through a little bit loud. I still like the description though. So our first piece of news this week is actually a follow-on from last week. We got some we got some hints at the tentacles for the scourge behemoth which are all tentacly and mechanical, and it looks like this thing's going to be big. Yeah, they look um, they look weird. But it's, you know, it's tentacles. So. Well, yeah. Robot tentacles, um, which is, yeah, interesting. Um, I was kind of half expecting them to mo- look a little bit more similar to the ones in Drop Fleet, but... I don't know. I think I'm glad that they're keeping it of its own distinct look. Well, so let's use some logic here. In space, it's a vacuum. So those tentacles have got to have that smooth hull-like finish to provide some sort of atmosphere inside the ship. On the ground, they don't need that, so they can have a little more segmentation for more maneuverability. Plus, in space, you float through. On ground, you kind of have to, you know, you have to do some stuff that involves like walking and things. So that's true. That's true. Um, we've only seen the hints of the tentacles at this point. Um, TT Combat actually revealed it themselves. Um, the other thing that they released images of, uh, and this again comes from TT Combat and members of the Drop Fleet Commander community, is the one thing that we always swore we'd never get. We're getting a resistance starter fleet. In the resisty. I could not be more excited for this. I I really like the look of what we've seen so far. Um, yeah, they'd I, always been... said initially that we wouldn't get resistance because it didn't make sense that they would have spaceships 
but they found a way to work it in the storyline. So I'm keen to see how this works. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing this image kind of for the first time for the most part because I've been fairly busy at the the 9 to 5 job thing and I've only been able to catch glimpses and stuff like that. But I really like the look of these ships because looking at them, you can see the influence of some of the PHR design. You can see some of the remnants of a UCM stuff. Obviously, you're not going to see Scourge or Shaltari influences in these ship designs, but uh, uh, the the picture here that I'm looking at, the left-hand uh, closest ship, has a, a lot of similar characteristics to the Centurion class, which is the PHR UCM uh, throwback ship that was released. Yep. Yeah, I noticed that too. So, and, and just in general, a lot of these ships have a lot of that similar, like, hole shape, you know, plate shape, you know, throwback design. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, excited to see what, what comes from that. There is another bit of uh, TT Combat news that you missed on, on for the news, Bruce. And that was an announcement that TT Combat is working in conjunction with Corvus Bell to make MDF Terrain for infinity oh yes i did forget about that that's my bad colvis belly is ever given them the rights to yeah make make terrain for infinity which is just yeah great news for them anything to diverse the product range well i'm excited for that because while it is labeled uh infinity terrain infinity terrain the game itself too is on par as same scale as games workshop stuff so that opens up a huge market for them for terrain because quite frankly i'm looking at uh the the company is called war arsenal uh they make infinity terrain they have this thing called a comanche uh outpost kit it's the entire setup yeah i have plans to get that at some point to do as a terrain display board for a uh, warhammer army yeah and that makes a lot of sense i mean aesthetically um infinity's aesthetics are very different from 40k's because it's more of a clean crisp future as opposed to a the entire world is screwed type future um so very different from that point of view but there's nothing that says that you couldn't gribbly them up a little bit um the 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 hints that when they are only hints that we've seen so far but they look gorgeous yeah um other news pre-release starts today is what it says on the Warhammer community page for the new uh, Fire Slayer stuff that is supposed to be coming out. Um, yeah, uh, didn't really do much other because, I mean, the drop fleet, drop zone stuff is huge news because smaller companies, smaller game, when they do a release like that, that's the big news uh, for them, like just period. It's not a constant stay stream like companies like Games Workshop has, so I mean, that's kind of what we're going to focus on today is, is that news. Um, we also were able to get some photos of uh, the Starfleet sprues uh, that happened at uh, – this all happened at Salute, if uh, everyone's wondering. so Yeah, yeah, it all happened at Salute. The actual ships themselves, for those that haven't seen it, and this reference might go over some international people's heads – but the ships kind of remind me of a flathead fish where it kind of looks like it's swimming sideways. It kind of looks like it should be going one way, but it's going the other. Um, but it's it's a design I really like because it calls back to the Centurion and that, like you said, 
but it's it, it's a look that's very very unique. Um, I'm a hundred percent picking up at least one of the starter sets when it gets released. Um, anything bigger, I'll have to wait to see what happens. But definitely want to pick up some starter stuff. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I just I want to see more pictures of the stuff, you know, and the, the spec sheets for it, which they haven't been released yet. It's just it's just been the spoiler of hey, we're releasing this. So. Yeah. Um, the actual pictures of the sprue came from a user on the Dropfleet Commander community. I'm sorry, I don't know what the name was. There's actually th- two or three different people that shared them, though. Uh, but massive thank you to the community. It's a very strong community there. They always supported us in the old podcast as well. Um, but th- this stuff looks gorgeous. And then next, uh, we uh, have uh, more information on a Kickstarter that uh, Thunderboy, uh, you'll, you'll hear him on a couple of podcasts maybe. Uh, it, it's again, you know, the tri-section of the world. He lives in the Netherlands. So finding a recording time for all of us that works uh, is super difficult. Uh, but uh, there's a gentleman who is doing a Terrain Essentials book. And he's going doing this through Kickstarter. Uh, he got funding within 24 hours, I think, is what it was. I mean, before the it first was even, weekend, it was even less than that. Yeah, no, no, no. The the actual project funding happened in, I want to say, eight hours or so. It was something ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it this was. It was is, ridiculous. It's being done by the, the actual Kickstarter is being done by Dave Taylor, uh, which is one of the main people behind uh, Heavier Metal. Uh, he had a Kickstarter uh, near the end of last year, which delivered recently, and the book is absolutely phenomenal. This one is being written by Mel Bose, which, for those who should know him, is the Terrain Tutor. Uh, anybody that's in our hobby should know who the Terrain Tutor is, and if you don't know who the Terrain Tutor is, go to YouTube and look him up. He's, without question, essential viewing. Um, yeah, definitely essential viewing. So I just, I just pulled it up. Uh, the pledge was, the pledge goal was $40,000 us. So yep. I don't know what that is in other world money right now with 28 hours to go. So we're actually nearing the end of the Kickstarter 20 hours to go. So unfortunately, by the time you hear this, uh, if you haven't backed it, you're not going to be able to back it at that point unless there's late backing going on. But right now, with 28 hours to go, there's $225,823 uh, pledged to this. Uh, I have pledged to this. Uh, I pledged, As of all, I- uh, $45 uh, for the physical version of the book. So... I'm okay with the physical version because then I can have it sitting on my hobby bench a lot easier and and look at the stuff, which I I plan on because, well, display boards, terrain, blah, blah, blah. I I do a a pretty decent job on my basing, which I can kind of translate that into. But if I were to, you know, see something really cool, I'm definitely going to jump on that. Um, The the only thing I'm disappointed about is uh, estimated delivery is February 2020. So... I don't want to wait that long. Yeah, I would love to have it now, but um, it's being it's going to be it's going to be a, a big book. Uh, basically, they've managed to unlock as many pages as they possibly can without absolutely killing the postage costs for those of us that are overseas. Um, there's a couple of PDFs 
that are being unlocked at this stage. I've actually pledged for the physical book as well as the PDF um, because, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm trying to go as much digital in this type of thing as I can, uh, but in this particular case, I want both. So, uh, Well, the reason why I want physical is, and I'll get into this uh, in, in hobby time, uh, is the size of my iPad. And, and I'll explain this here in a second as I'm, talk, as I'm talking about some other stuff in my, uh, in my, in the hobby time. Um, but yeah, uh, eight final pages expanded theory kits and Mel's top tips. That's in the book. I mean, there's, uh, what was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 add-ons have been unlocked with the funding. Then there's uh, five, well, $5 and $2 add-ons, uh, Basin Guide PDF, Men's Rules for – or Mel's Rules for Building Terrain Poster, and an add-on color reference card. So uh, those are just cool little add-ons in their own. But, yeah, everything's been unlocked. So, yeah. Very um, successful Kickstarter. I'm, I'm looking looking forward to it. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Definitely had to have it. Um, and Mel, if by chance you ever stumble across this, if I did pronounce your watchama call it wrong, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure it's both. I could, I could be wrong. You know, we, we could make it really easy for him to run into it and send him a link to the show when we get it up. <laughs> oh, he he has it. He he has the link because I um. No, I mean this I, show specifically. That's true as well. Um, yeah, the only other thing we have on the news was just a very, very quick one. Artis Opus did a Kickstarter last year for a series of miniature brushes, uh, which have received very positive reviews. I have not used them personally. I have friends that have. Um, they're on Kickstarter again with a series of dry brushes, which I find very confusing. I, I don't understand why you would pay big money for a dry brush. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to agree with that because yeah. typically um, I buy a cheap dry brush if I'm buying a dry brush. What usually winds up being a dry brush for me is an old brush that has been trimmed down and it's no longer usable as a brush and is now a dry brush to get the last bit of mileage out of it before it hits the bin. Yeah. So, I mean, Artisobus I, I, make a really good product from everything that I've heard. Um, maybe there's massive benefits to having a brush of this quality. Um, I just don't quite get it personally why you'd spend big money on a dry brush when the whole act of dry brushing is going to ruin your expensive brush. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but if, if there's benefits to having a better dry brush that, either of us are not aware of i'd love to know what they are and i genuinely mean that yeah because the, the most i've spent on a dry brush has been the actual games workshop large dry brush just for the speed of dry brushing the entire mini slash you know dry brushing you know basing a lot of my dry brushing is small detail so just small crappy brushes with short bristles that you know the, the stiffness that you need for a dry brushing yeah pretty much so, 
But yeah, that's our uh, our take on what we think uh, the important events are to talk about in the news. Should we should we get on to that uh, wonderful topic topic of hobby? Hobby is always good. Dream, blue, crying, paint. I may redo the voice on that one too, as well as drop the audio. That it's there, but it's not quite there. It's it's not like you know. The news one or the intro. Uh, your 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 uh, airbrush repair. Where, what's status on that? Um, yeah, my airbrush is actually completely fixed at this stage. Works perfectly. Um, I wanted to follow up on this mainly because I mentioned last week that the main issue I'd had was that I bought the replacement part, but I purchased. There was two different things, and I purchased the wrong, not so much the wrong part, uh, but specifically the wrong kit for doing it. I bought just the part by itself, uh, but there is actually a specific kit for actually replacing it properly. Um, so you can buy the needle bearing, sorry, needle bearing, as an actual part by itself, um, or you can buy the proper replacement kit. Now, I'm going to very quickly bring up my email that came from Ken, which is the owner of the company. And just again, what airbrush do you have again? I have a Badger Patriot 105. Not the Extreme, just the regular 105. Just the 105, not the 105 Extreme! Yeah, the the, the Extreme uh, is the one that's um, more for fine detail. Uh, they are both good products to have. I just don't have the other one. Okay. So I had purchased just the actual needle bearing where there is a specific kit that you can buy that comes with – it actually came with two of the needle bearings, which I didn't know at the time – a specific insertion rod um, so that you can insert it in without it getting crushed like mine was. Um an extraction rod so that you don't have to use your drill bit, which is what I did to get mine out, Uh, and what they're calling a reaming rod, which basically, if when you put it in, it kind of crushes a little bit so that the needle doesn't fit properly, which is what happened to mine. You can use this to widen the hole just enough to make it wide enough for the needle without allowing air to escape. It actually came with a pin vise too, which I will probably never use. Um because I already have one. But yeah, it was I'll give very you my affordable. I don't, I don't remember the exact price. It'll cost me more to ship it to you than the thing's worth. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actual kit itself was $28 US plus postage, um, as opposed to I think the other one was just a matter of a couple of dollars, but it came with a lot of stuff. Um, and obviously it's a lot cheaper than buying a brand new airbrush when I really didn't need to. So, so now that your airbrush is fixed, you're, you're all set to like airbrush Skaven now. Yes. I I can airbrush anything I want. Um, I I kind of airbrushed a little bit of my new hobby light that I have. Um, battlefield accessories sell what they call a halo kit, which is basically a giant white light that you can put on your table. Um, I actually brought that at CanCon in January 
And for some reason, it took me three months to build it. I'm not entirely sure why. I'm obviously lazy. You or couldn't I'm be bothered? Distracted. Well, that too, I guess. No, I was just distracted by other things. Um, and my idea, I was going to like paint it all white and stuff, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Nice. So so you actually haven't started building the Skaven yet, though? You, you've been building No, no, my, my Skaven are mostly built. Um, there's certain things that are built in parts, like the Doom Wheels, for example. It's kind of a bit difficult to paint them properly if you put them all together. So they're built in sections. I've built them in the same sections the book recommends. Um, I've done the same thing for the Screaming Bell, um, though I haven't put the bell together yet. I should probably do that. Um, most of my clan rats are still unbuilt because I have enough to paint right now. I don't really need to add to that until I've caught up. Um, I've built my own custom Gisales, uh, which I did from some plague monks with some guns from the crew rifle sets. Sorry, the, um, crew carnivore sets. I have started on my conversions for some Rat Ogres, which is from an Ogors box, and the Fenrisian Wolves. Is it Fenrisian Wolves? Yeah, close enough. Um, I, I tried sitting the boxes on top of each other, and they wouldn't build themselves, so I've had to do it myself. I'm very disappointed in that. Games Workshop, why are your things not building themselves? I, I don't understand this. I have to do work. Um, none of the green stuff has been done yet. That That is the bit that, that we made the joke on our thing about how I'm scared of green stuff. Uh, I avoid green stuff like the plague because I have less than zero skills in that area. So this is genuinely going to be a new thing. Yeah, I have only ever used uh, green stuff as a gap fill where I have to smooth, not actually sculpting or texturing anything. Um, I, I, I'm terrible at stuff like that. I While I can paint uh, more than a little decently because there's, you know, lines and shapes to, you know, follow and whatnot, like freehand, just, no. I look like a, an inebriated toddler trying to actually draw. My housemate continues to go, oh, but sculpting fur is really easy. You just have to draw lines. And I keep on looking at him and go, yes, but I've never done it. Um, but eventually you will get to have a look at my work and you can all laugh at me because it will be horrible. But you, it will be mine never, and that's all that matters. You, you've never drawn lines before? Well, on a piece of paper, but sculpting a line is not the same thing. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> Um, George, have you touched your, I already know the answer to this question. Have you touched your Shaltari with your repaints lately? I have not because I've, uh, actually started, uh, buying and I'm in the process of building three pieces of it now. Uh, it should go a little faster as far as acquiring pieces because the pieces I have acquired were the most expensive ones of what I want. But I have started acquiring uh, my hobby furniture to hold my paints, uh, flock, uh, other such things, you know, to better organize uh, one's hobby station. Um, the furniture I'm using is uh, from HobbyZone.pl. Uh, I just recently discovered a American distributor site that they own called HobbyZone.biz. And Ooh. yes, um, unfortunately, uh, you're still screwed living in Australia. So if well, you're in- I am for all of this sort of stuff, though. 
Yeah. So if you live in Europe, go to hobbyzone.pl because it's kind of like, you know, it's it's intercountry shipping. It's not international the way it would be for me coming from Poland. That's where the stuff's made. Uh, but having the uh, U.S. distributor makes it a lot easier for me because then I don't have to worry about the bat and the excessive shipping for flying it across the pond. Uh, Canada, Mexico, uh, you know, NAFTA agreement, so you can get it uh, easily as well. Uh, but I've gotten the corner drawer module, the corner shelf module, and the corner paint uh, module for holding airbrush pots. Uh, I'm in the process of building the uh, airbrush or the the paint rack. Um, so I can better store stuff, uh, have a more ho- organized hobby area, and yeah, get that set up, get a uh, good uh, streaming cam, and I can start doing like say a work in progress uh, Wednesday YouTube videos, um, and and even maybe at some point when I get it finished, uh, do a little tour of my hobby bench because yeah, we like we we like our hobby areas, and for some reason people like seeing other people's hobby areas. So yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, my hobby area needs some serious work. I have actually bought a couple of paint racks recently uh, to replace ones that got destroyed in the move. Um, although, to be fair, they weren't ones I was really happy with. Um, they don't really compare with the hobby zone stuff, um, but they are they are good. I certainly wouldn't just discount them. Um, I've got one of them that holds fifty something, and another one that holds seventy something dropper bottles. Um, I don't have any for holding the G-Dub stuff because I'm any G-Dub paints I have, I'm moving across to dropper bottles. I, I'm at a point where I point blank refuse to use their pots now. There's just they're just not worth not worth it in my opinion. They have no no good points to those pots at all. Uh, I'd like my paints to actually last a week and not dry out once they've been opened. I know that's an exaggeration, but still. Uh, if if Games Workshop needs to do anything, and I, I hope they listen to this, they need to move to an eyedropper setup. That way you can screw the cap on and it is sealed. You need paint, you pull the cap off, you drop a drop out, you mix in some water to thin it properly, you paint. I'm okay with, you know, wasting, you know, you know, three quarters of a drop of paint. But when the entire pot dries out while it's closed it's just not good. And especially at the price of, of what, of what hobby paints are. Hobby paint is not cheap. I mean, no, I mean, an an airbrush eyedropper of paint is like four or five bucks. Jeez. Really? I can get a gallon of paint and, you know, for walls for like 60 bucks and do like five rooms. Yeah. But good luck using that on your minis and the minis actually still holding detail. Well, uh, certain things for the minis, like terrain. Don't use hobby paint on on, on terrain. Use house paint because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. T- 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 typically, terrain has bigger details, so it's not going to get covered as easily. And since it's terrain, it's going to have more of a, you know, what you would see in the world as it is. So what do you put on things that you see in the world as it is? Normal house paint because that's what's on the stuff. So, Yeah. Yeah, at the very minimum, you want to be using a cheaper paint than your miniature stuff. Um, even if you're going to the dollar store and getting like just cheap acrylics, um, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that cheap that yeah. for your airbrush. Oh, um, God, no. but yeah, I mean, I have used miniature paints on my um terrain, but I generally tend to use the cheaper stuff. Um, but in saying that, I haven't really done a lot of terrain recently. 
Uh, I haven't Miami either. Most that's... of my games I do at the store, so I don't need it per se. Yeah, I, I want to start doing more too, just for the purpose of display boards. Because as I get older, you know, as much as I like playing the games, I don't like playing them super competitively like some people do. I will go to a competitive tournament because what happens at a competitive tournament? Judging for best painted. That's that's kind of what I want to do. I want to be a little bit like, yeah, okay, I got like third from last, but I got best painted, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and I definitely want to get into the um, the display board type thing a lot more too. I, I mean, I've had images in my head of what I wanted to do for display boards for a long time. None of them's come to fruition at this point. Um, but I've always had the plans. The plan, the plans count, right? Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Well, okay, I, I, I kind of got into that after I helped a buddy of mine, Don, uh, take first place for best painted Trader Legion at a 30k, uh, in the 30k at uh, Adepticon two years ago. He took best painted for uh, Trader Legion. Nice. And I did. <laughs> With his instruction, I built probably 80% of his display boards. So, Yeah, and it can definitely help. I mean, it's certainly not be-all and end-all, but display boards can go a long way. Um, but in saying that, do you want to move into, ta- into game time? Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about some game, game stuff. Talk nerdy to me. The balance on that one's probably pretty good. <laughs> Uh, the 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 sound I think needs to drop down just a little bit, but I'm pretty happy with that voice because, well, it's a computer generated female voice saying "talk nerdy to me." That's like the nerd's dream from the '80s, right there. <laughs> and if you weren't so alive during actually, the '80s, I'm sorry you don't get the full reference of that awesomeness. Well, that's fair. I'm going to change around the order that I've put this in a little bit because I actually think I'd like to start with the fact that. Uh, as I don't remember if it was first thing this morning or if it was yesterday, but it's Battlefleet Gothic's 20-year anniversary. That was yesterday by my uh, calendar and clock, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I never actually played Battlefleet Gothic during the day, but uh, obviously I, played, I have a connection to it because of Drop Fleet. Yeah, I played one game of it uh, that was ran by a Games Workshop Outrider when they had those back in, I want to say it was 98. Yep. Given that you've only played one game of it, I'm guessing that you never really got that into it then. Uh, no. Well, so it, it was actually 99 then, technically, because uh, if you if you look at the whole calendar of everything, if it's 20 years old and yeah, May 1999 that, is when I uh, went off to boot camp to serve in the Marines. So I only ever played that one game because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've never really had much nostalgia for Battlefleet, Battlefleet Gothic personally, and I'm not saying that it's a bad game or anything. I just I've never played it, so I don't have any nostalgia for it. But the fact that it's a direct link to Drop Fleet Commander to the point where the person that wrote the rules is the same person uh, and made no qualms about stating that he tried to fix what he saw were issues with his original game with the new one. Um, I mean, I, I on his official post, I've kind of made mention of the fact that because it led to Battlefleet Gothic, uh, sorry, to Drop Fleet Commander, um, which is pretty much right up there. It, it's one of my favourite games, um, which is why we did a 
whole thing for two years just about that game specifically. Right now, so actually having played, you know, Battlefleet Gothic, you know, and I can tell you right now, the PHR fleet and Drop Fleet Commander, that's pretty much anything in the Imperium. Lots of broadside shooting, you know, like space classic, you know, Navy broadside ship ship fighting. That's what the Imperium is set up on. The Eldar, totally Shaltari. Yeah. The Scourge, uh, ever hear of uh, the Chaos Legions? There. And then uh, the UCM. The UCM is kind of the new, the new of, you know, if you look at Battlefleet Gothic compared to Dropfleet Commander, the UCM is the new thing. It, I, I almost yeah. have a feeling that uh, the resistance that we're seeing, it's going to have some of the, uh, the, the feel of, say, the Orc fleets. That would make oh. sense, actually. And, um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm completely stupid. It's not Chaos. It's Tyranid. That's Scourge. Tyranid. Yes. Um, though you were talking mechanics, so it could have still been, right? I wouldn't have yeah, known any different. It, it's been so long. I, I The only thing I can specifically remember was, you know, like I was wanting to like run my shit up there, ship up there and, you know, sh- and shoot the, the big four cannon. And then the outrider turned his ship sideways and unload with a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's how they did it back in, you know, ye olde days when uh, the wind propelled the ships and, you know, things with uh, were scary with fire because of all the uh, powder stores and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, um, nobody plays Necrons because if you play Necrons, nobody will play with you because um, they were the broken one, I think. I've had conversations with a mate of mine that was right into it. Um, well, and, and see, and that's where Andy said he fixed the problems is – Something would be broken. They'd fix that, and something else would be broken. It, it, it was like it was a constant power creep, it, but but yeah, it was much that's more significant. The way they do their games. Well, it, it was even more significant for Battlefleet Gothic versus you know their you know twenty eight millimeter you know guys on the on the ground game though. Yeah, that is fair. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Battlefleet Gothic is a game that people are screaming to get a new release. I'm not entirely convinced that this is as close as people think it is. Um, people are also screaming for Mordheim, and I think we're more likely to get a Mordheim game before a Battlefleet Gothic one, um, only because I'm not entirely convinced that the market needs yet another spaceship game. Um, I mean, X-Wing and Armada are dominating that sphere as far as spaceship games is concerned right now. Um, Partly because of the intellectual property that they're based on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously if they was to release it, people would come across from the video games, people would come across from 40K. It certainly would get followed, but I'm not sure that time's ready for it yet. I'm thinking more 2020. I do think we'll see it. I just don't think it's going to be this year. Not personally. Uh, I, I think uh, part of why we, it might take a while is uh, Andy Chambers created the game for Games Workshop. X amount of time has gone by. He and Dave Lewis created Drop Fleet Commander, where Andy said he fixed a lot of the problems. If Games yeah. Workshop goes and tries to re-release Battlefleet Gothic with some of the, the problem fixes... Uh, they could run it. They themselves could run into the issue that they are constantly fighting of theft of intellectual property uh, from TT Combat, who now owns the Drop Fleet Commander 
uh, intellectual property of, you know, theft of idea. Yeah. T- to be fair, I think if Games Workshop were to release Battlefleet Gothic, I think they'd have to completely redo it. I, I don't think that they could base it on the original game. I mean, obviously, style-wise, you know, obviously, yes, it's going to be in the same sort of quote-unquote scale, etc. Um, but I don't think that they could base it on... It would have to be a new rule set because... Well, it was what, 18 Otherwise, years? Otherwise, just copy and pasting, and that's it, not going to go well. Yeah, it was 18 years between Balfour Gothic and Dropfleet Commander-ish. Call, we'll, we'll call it uh, 14 because it did last for a while. So at some point, something ran out. T, uh, Hawk War Games was able to create that game uh, in conjunction with Andy Chambers. So something had run out at that point to where the game was released, no issues, that well, that we are aware of. And for so soon... After the release of Dropfleet Commander and the, the fact that the game is still continuing for Games Workshop to try to re-release Battlefleet Gothic uh, without rewriting it, they they might themselves run into the issues that they are so constantly fighting. Yeah. Um, I think t- to some extent um, game mechanics can't be copyrighted per se or it's just a, one of those complicated things, but... Um, it's yeah. Intellectual property is really complicated and probably not something to discuss on this channel. <laughs> we we don't have the the knowledge or experience on how to talk about uh, intellectual property usage and defense of. <laughs> yeah. Um. Look, look, it's a game that's still thought of very highly today. Uh, um, I don't know exactly how long it was around, but it was it was around long enough to make a big impact. It certainly was never a blood bowl. Uh, it definitely was never a Mordheim. Um, th- those games are still played today. Uh, in the case of Mordheim, despite the fact that it hasn't been supported for, I want to say, longer than Blood Bowl. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure Mordheim got cancelled first. Um Blood Bowl has obviously come back again now, which is why everybody's kind of expecting all of these games to come back now. Um, yeah, I'm for sure. D- definitely. I mean, I'm beyond keen for a Mordheim. I'd love to see that get revisited. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah. The, the, the next one uh, that you put on here, uh, and, and I do kind of like this, if you could pick one 40K model to get the Abaddon treatment, Next, who or what would it be and why? Yeah. See, the Abaddon model is gorgeous. There's there's no other way of saying it. It is absolutely gorgeous. And this is actually a conversation that me and my house might have had several times. Um, well, the, the clarification uh, uh, around this I've added was that it needed to be something that you believe would sell big time and it's something that would make a genuine impact on the game. So, I mean, you could give this treatment to everyone, but it needs to it needs to be there needs to be a reason why you're selecting this. Okay. Well, I think I have an idea for that, but I'm going to give a little more history on the uh, the the Abaddon model. So, I had an Abaddon model. I I I gave it away uh, a couple years ago. It was an old pewter one. I picked it up in 1998. It's the exact same model that they'd use up until they just released this new one. Wasn't made out of pewter. It's uh, 
fine crap resin, but it was the same sculpt. No changes in 20 years. And now from second edition or was that third? I'm pretty sure uh, it was second, wasn't it? Uh, it, it was it came out in second, I think. I started playing in third. So but it has not changed since. Yeah. Until until now. So um my my opinion on I have two two opinions on this. Uh the first one I think needs to have uh, a re-sculpt done is let me find it so um, I'm actually just actually on the Games Workshop page to look at the mini. Um, I'm very curious to see if we have any crossover on this. Uh, where is he at? Ah, here we go. Uh, Commander Dante, I think, needs an update. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and in saying that, the Commander Dante model is not... A, from that particular era... Because it's Dante, it was Abaddon, uh, Mephiston is from that same age as well, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- that one th- probably th- holds up better than Mephiston does. Um, but that is a, that was actually one of the models on my list. It's not my final choice, though. I, to, it to would me that, sell like hotcakes. That, that Commander Dante model, he just looks... He looks sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fair. I don't think you need to he adjust his looks- size too much. Maybe just make it a little bit bigger um, so that it's more in scale with the other modern heroes. Um, but I, I don't think it needs to be as big as, as Abaddon is or Ab- Abaddon, as I continue to call him. Uh, um, the one that I think needs the update of all the Games Workshop minis, and granted, I know the Space Marines always get the love because... Space Marines this, Space Marines that. But the one that I think needs the update, needs the resculpt, needs the loved, is Azrael Supreme Grandmaster of the Dark Angels. That's an interesting one. I hadn't even thought of that. That's actually not a bad point. Go look at it. Go look at it right now and tell me it does not need an update like Abaddon did. Or Abaddon. Or Abaddon. Or however you say Yeah, no, you're definitely on the mark with that one. Which one, which one do you think needs the update, Bruce? Well, as I said, Dante was actually on my list. Mephiston's on the list for the same reason, because Mephiston is yeah. one of the most bought. I know that he was really popular and groundbreaking in the age that he was made, but it's an extremely boring model now. Um, it's a guy that's standing there with his arms at his sides. It's really dull. Uh, but for me, it's um, the Eldar um, Avatar of Cain. That model, it's not a bad model, but it's way smaller than it should be. That thing is supposed to be an equivalent of a demon lord. To, um, a demon, not demon prince, the next one up. Like the bloodthirster type things. Not as big, oh, but it's meant to be in comparison with them. A greater demon. Kind greater of demon. Thank you. Um well, I don't think it needs to be as big as the Forge World once, but I think it should be something so that, I mean, people won't use the Forge World models on the tabletop because all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot game-wise because they use uh, True Line of Sight. But the model has always been popular. Eldar have always been popular. You can't tell me that that model wouldn't sell. Well, so here, here's my argument. Uh, 
It needs to be demon print size. And it should be yes. a plastic kit, not the resin. I don't think it needs to be bigger. I, I, I think the scale of it is fine, maybe a little bigger. Um, but the reason why I say that is because what do uh, the Eldar have? They have Wraith Knights. They don't need yeah, another. Need that, yeah. So that's my argument for that. Uh, but other than that, I think it does need to be updated from a, a fine cast to plastic. Uh, just because, I mean, G- Games Workshop has had such a, a poor history with the resin. That's why a lot of that, I mean, the great resin comes from Forge World. If you're going to keep it in resin, let Forge World do it. Yeah. Um, I think it needs to, I think you are right, though. It needs to be a plastic kit. I mean, all it all needs to be plastic kits, let's be honest. They have the technology. They're just stupid if they're not if they don't do the new stuff that way, which is what they're doing with all of it anyway. With the exception of uh, what was his name? The guy from the Catachance that they did last year as a limited edition. The what? Men kill team. Oh, Sly Rambo? Sly Sly Marbo, yes. Or yeah, Sly Rambo or Marbo, yeah. Sly Rambo. It's it's Rambo. Let's, yeah, I know. We'll, we'll just start out there. It's Rambo. I actually have that model. I did buy it. Um, the other one I think would be worth revisiting is Gazgul Thrucker. Um, wait, is it Gazgul Thrucker? Yeah, Gazgul Thrucker. Only because he should probably be a little bit bigger too. Not huge bigger, but just a little bit. I think he's a little bit smaller. Everybody has kind of been given updates in sizes since that model was released. What what arm is he from? Orcs. With a name like Gazgul, has a, with a name like Gazgul Thraka, how is he not an orc? Well, because I was searching it based off how it sounded like it was spelled. So G H A Z. Oh, oh I, I missed that. What's a Z? Z. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that that could definitely use an update too. Um, it's not an ugly model by any. And actually, to be fair, the Eldar one I mentioned is not an ugly model either. Um. It's probably desperately needs to be done. Um, I wouldn't say that the orc one is desperately needing to be done because aesthetically it still fits with the rest of the army, but I do think it's, let's be honest, it's been a long time since the orcs got some love. Yeah, this is true. So I don't, we'll, we'll put this out there. Of the four we mentioned, Gazgul Thraka, the Avatar of Cain, uh, Dante or Ezreal, wh- wh- which one needs the update the most? You guys think? Uh, let us know on uh, c- in the comments and whatnot, and we'll uh, we'll tally those results. Please let us know because we'd really like to tally the results so we could let everyone know. <laughs> yeah, I also think it's a fun conversation to have. Like I said, me and my housemate have discussed this a couple of times. We both came up with Dante. In fact, I'm a, I'm a historically a Blood Angels player, but it was him that brought Dante up first. Um, the Eldar one, like the Avatar, we kind of both forgot about it and brought it up like the next day. Oh, hang on. We should mention. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting conversation. All righty. <clears throat> well, are you, are you ready to get yanked there, Bruce? I think so. I think so. I won last time, right? Yes, I won last time. Well, you get. I, I'm trying to do these as 50-50, so you have it as – best odds as you can so yanking the bruce that's such a great bumper i love that one 
Alrighty, so the name of this podcast, Bruce, is Getting Tabled. And as anyone who plays these games know, when you get tabled, that means you have nothing left on the table. You are done, dead, wiped out. You have been tabled. So, correct. typically, getting tabled, you know, happens, you know, fastest I've ever seen has been turn three. Typically, it's a turn five or six thing when you get tabled. So, do you think anyone has ever been tabled faster than turn three, Bruce? I've been tabled faster than that. <laughs> I've been tabled. Hey, what, I've been tabled what, what, in round two. Okay, have you? Have you? Do you think it's possible to be tabled faster than round two? Then, uh, yes, I know that you can be tabled in round one. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder now that they've changed certain rules in forty k. But yeah, you, you can get tabled in round one if you don't deploy in certain ways. Well, technically, you are wrong because you get tabled before turn one. Because you don't get your turn. Um, the story I'm talking about is a uh, story about a griefing, griefing a min maxing Warhammer 40k player. Um, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll read the little article here because it, it, it is well written. Uh, player one, he was in a white shirt, uh, henceforth will be called Wheels, is a Warhammer power gamer. His gimmick is to hold his entire army in reserve. The opponent will be forced to deploy conservatively since Wheels cited the field will be empty and at the beginning of his first turn wheels will deploy his entire force in a compact spearhead then advance and pierce the enemy line at its weakest point player turn in the black shirt we'll call him shooter on the article is where wheels gimmick and so here's how he did it and this is why i say he got tabled before turn one during the normal deployment phase shooter places his commander on the field in Warhammer, two players are supposed to take turns, deploying and counter-deploying until everything on the is on the field. However, Wheels announces that he's deploying nothing and he'll, he'll hold his entire force in reserve as he planned all along. Shooter places a row of scouts in a single thin skirmish line covering Wheels' entire edge of the table. Now, as everyone knows, scouts can be deployed anywhere, but anti-cheese rules prevent him from putting a scout within 30 centimeters of an opposing unit, but there are no opposing units anywhere on the field, so the rule is moot. Tactically, these scouts are screwed. They have no cover, no support, and they're on open ground. As soon as the opposing cavalry takes the field, these guys will die. The deployment phase ends. It's now Wheel's turn. Shooter informs him. So it's now his turn. His turn hasn't started yet. Informs him that the game is over. Wheel can't act Wheels can't actually deploy any of his motorcycles. Anti-cheese rules prevent him from placing reserve units within five centimeters of an enemy model. There isn't a single five centimeter gap on any uh, on anywhere on Wheels' edge of the field. Wheels and Tile Force is doomed to sit uselessly in reserve until the game ends, at which point he'll lose automatically because shooter controls the entire map. The tournament officials declare that shooter's interpretation of the rules was technically correct and grant him the victory. And so there's a picture of this guy smiling while the other guy is pouring through the rule book. So technically that tabling happened before his turn one. Yeah. And that, yeah, that works. Um, yeah. So just no, remember yeah, that Bruce that works. Just remember Bruce, despite how quickly you've been tabled, you haven't been tabled that quickly. No. See the way that it would normally happen is, and this was very common for blood angels for a while, was that you'd hold almost everything in reserve apart from one unit because you had to have one thing on the table. And this this is the reason why they've changed these rules recently. Um, but then if that one unit got, just get, got destroyed, then you're tabled before you can pull anything out of reserve, which is 
what happened to me during the infamous tournament that we've discussed more times than I care to count. Um, only happened once, though. I just lost, naturally, all the other times. Because I just love dice, and dice love me so much. Lies. Yep. All lies. Dice all hate right. me. All dice hate me. All right. Well, you have an upcoming event on that, and I don't have a bumper for that yet. I apparently have not made one. So uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about that event, and uh, we'll get out of here. I can do that. So in Victoria, Australia, specifically at the House of War, which is my local, um, the AVC doubles is taking place. So it's a casual, fun 40K event. Uh, doubles obviously means that you're playing in pairs, each bringing 750 points each in 2v2, sorry, 2v2 games. Uh, it's been designed specifically so that it's casual fun for everyone. Uh, it's actually being run by the, the AVC group is one of the ones that run the Victorian groups most most of the time. Uh, the actual host is Dean Sinebeck, uh, or as most people probably know him, is Blog for the Blood God. Uh, and for I mean, I know that he has a rather large following, so yes, that Blog for the Blood God he's, is a local for me. Uh, nice guy. Um, but yeah, I actually entered one of the, it wasn't one of the official ones. Uh, I, I have entered one of these once before. It was, I was playing with my Blood Angels while I still had them. And my partner ended up being Necrons. So we were team fist bump just to kind of, you know, raspberry in the faces of people that hated the fact that that happened in Fluff at one point. Um we went well. We we went third. I actually I actually placed in a tournament once. It's amazing. Um, Mephiston was awesome. Everything else died, but Mephiston was awesome. The Necrons were awesome too. Um, I won't be in this because I don't own any forty k stuff. But if you are wanting to be part of that, uh, get in on it. Uh, you can find the event through Facebook. Do a search for AVC doubles. Um, or otherwise, get in touch with us at gettingtabled at gmail.com, and I will send you the link directly. Alrighty, and then Thunderboy also uh, asked us to mention this. Uh, he is working on a Drop Fleet Commander competition uh, with the Facebook group. Uh, he's still working on the details. Uh, Most but of it's which something is still secret to, at this point. Yeah, it's uh, something that's coming up, so... Uh, the drop fleet people uh keep your eyes peeled especially if you're in the europe area and you could attend that uh since you know you can go through like six countries in a day in europe without fretting too much about it yeah um definitely keen for that um competitions are always fun so yeah you can't really go wrong there okay well i think think that's going to do it for us uh we actually have uh information to give uh of course you can find us on facebook at www.facebook.com slash getting tabled uh the web page is now live the show notes for the first episode and the first episode are up there now uh you'll find the show notes for this episode up there is www.gettingtabled.weebly.com and there's our Twitter, which, Bruce, you know that one. Uh, at Getting Tabled. And then, of course, our email, which is gettingtabled at gmail.com. 
We also want to give a special shout out to everybody in the groups that's allowed us to get the word out about our podcast. Um, In my case, the Skaven Warhammer group, for obvious reasons, Uh, and the uh, you had a couple as well that allowed uh, as well. The Imperial Truth is allowing us to post in there. Uh, I'm continuing to post in the Drop Fleet and Drop Zone pages because, well, that's where I posted in the past. So I'm just going to continue to post there because no one's told me it ever stops. So I'm not going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we've we've been given support by some lovely people, and we are here to support the community as best we can. Uh, and as we continue to grow and as things to come together, we hope that you'll continue listening to us. Say bye to the people, Bruce. Bye to the people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For listening to Getting Table. Music used in this podcast was created by Eric Mataris at soundimage.org. I promise I will fix those bumpers.